No Direction Network presents Pfizercon 2022 Seminar Coverage. For more great convention coverage, check out NoDirectionPodcast.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Inside Paizo Playtesting Panel at PaizoCon Online 2022. I am your host and moderator for this panel. Hi, I'm Jason Bullman. I'm the Director of Game Design here at Paizo. But before we launch into today's chat, I want to toss it around the horn and let my other fellow panelists introduce themselves and what they do at Paizo. Logan, take it away. Hi, I'm Logan Bonner. I am the Pathfinder lead designer. So I kind of oversee the Pathfinder 2E uh, rules environment and do a whole bunch of development and outlining and assigning of the books in the rulebook line. I'm John Compton. I'm Starfinder senior developer, along with my colleague Joe Passini, Starfinder's lead designer. Uh, we work together on the Starfinder hardcover books, uh, including any of the playtesting that's required for future content, oftentimes with classes. So I'm here to represent uh, the old ways of doing playtests. These two gentlemen are here to represent the new ways of doing playtests. So I'm going to get it started with uh, kind of ancient, ancient history. And then we'll uh, we'll come up to more modern stuff and talk about how we do playtesting because you know at its heart uh, playtesting is critical to what we do at Paizo. I think you know before we launch into kind of how things have been going and and where things are right now, um, I think I want to talk just uh, for a brief moment and chat with the panel here. Uh, this is kind of an audible off my outline because uh, uh, I'd like to talk about how important playtesting is to us in our daily uh, you know business and our routine and. Uh, you know, uh, for me, playtesting is a critical way of getting feedback on our work and making it better. Um, I think without playtesting, we would not be where we are today. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, has made Paizo what it is, is all of the feedback and thoughts from all of you. Um, you know, we love making games and writing rules, but uh, the, the best way to make those as good as they could possibly be is by chatting with all of you. Uh, I, I'm wondering if Logan, uh, um, John, do do either one of you have anything you want to add to that before we kind of get going, kind of the preamble part of this? Yeah, for for my organized play experience, like I have a lot of, sure have played and run a lot of tables. I sure have a lot of internalized lessons of what I'm pretty sure is true or what tends to be most correct. And so like, for any of the developers and designers at Paizo, we can start to create material where it's based on the foundation of what we're, of hard learned lessons and happily learned lessons um, to make something that we think is going to be awesome. But there are so many variables in game design and so many masters that uh, our rules serve from you know, maintaining a nice orderly and, and clear set of instructions to providing the, the flexibility to use things at your table to just, just being fun. Uh, that there's there's always that X factor that uh, can't be substituted for anything but play testing, where we need to see what it's like out in the wild. We need to see it in action to test out those theories, that theory crafting armchair design style of, of, of work. Um, it's got to be in the wild. It's got to be broken down, and it's got to be uh, put back together in an even better way. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point, John. Uh, and I'd also add that uh, having a robust playtesting uh, schedule lets us take bigger risks. There's a lot of stuff that we probably never would have done if we hadn't had the chance to try it out first and see if people liked it. 
before we, you know, committed it to, to being in a printed book. Um, there are, especially like in the, in the 2E playtests and some of the class playtests, it's like, well, let's go for the weirdest thing we can. And then if people don't like it, we can roll it back. Uh, but it lets us kind of reach further uh, and try new things. Yeah, I do think, you know, there is an element of playtesting is what helps us find the boundary box of the design, right? It's like, where are the corners? How far can we go, you know, and and where does that allow us to play? And, you know, in some cases, where did we go way too far and we need to scale it back to avoid, you know, kind of uh, making something that folks don't really enjoy. Um, I, I think all of this kind of ties together nicely in in kind of what playtest means for us, which is it, it allows us to get outside of our own lived experiences, right? You know, um, we do this all day, every day, and there comes with that a certain certitude that you, you know, you're doing the right thing, but it, it's not always the case because sometimes what your experience is isn't the what experience that everyone else has. So, um to avoid just kind of repeating what my fellow panelists have already said better than me, um, I, I think I, what I'd like to do now is chat a little bit about the history of playtesting at Paizo. And I want to talk about kind of where it all began. You know, back in the days when we were just a magazine publishing company, um, we playtested even then. They weren't public. They were us taking adventures that were about to appear, uh, appear in Dungeon Magazine and playtesting them in the office. Many of you, if you've been following Paizo for long enough, probably have heard stories of the Office Age of Worms campaign that we played and things like that. Uh, that was our earliest kind of experience with playtesting, you know, and and for many of us just getting in the industry uh, back in those ancient, ancient days, you know, 17, 15, 17 years ago, um, our, our experience was just that. It was like, that's what playtesting was. You sat down and played with the thing, and it was your experience informing you. But when the magazines went away and we started looking at doing, you know, a, our own role-playing game, the first thing that became apparent was that we needed uh, opinions from everyone. We really wanted to gather everyone's thoughts and ideas, which is why it led to the creation of something like this. And normally we would have graphics for this sort of stuff, but frankly, this book is now so old that there aren't any good graphics of it online anywhere that I could find that weren't pixelated and terrible. So um, the Pathfinder playtest for first edition was kind of the first time that we really cast a wide net with some of our playtesting. We had done some some smaller limited playtesting before with some other material and stuff, but this was the first time we really tried to cast an incredibly wide net. And at that point in time, our technology, our understanding of playtesting and what we would get out of it and what kind of response we would get was kind of unknown, right? You know, we started out with three alpha PDFs that we released, and those got pretty good feedback and pretty good comments. But there was such a breakneck pace to go from the alpha to the beta that, um, you know, we didn't have a lot of time to incorporate a lot of feedback. We did learn a few things, but all of this, including when we got to the beta, was just through the message boards. Right. Um, I, I don't know. Logan, uh, John, did either of you participate in that early playtest? I'm, I'm not I'm not sure. Um, it, it was a long I, time. I, I, think, <laughs> I think I was still at Wizards at the time, so I don't, I don't yeah. think I, that was. <laughs> I don't there, think there wasn't a lot of people lugging it around the halls. OK, yeah. <laughs> yeah sure. I, I was involved in some of the uh, beta playtesting, but was not one of the people submitting uh, feedback. That was the, the folks who were GMing it at the time and were kind of gathering together our group to be like, this new thing called Pathfinder. Um, 
But uh, the first playtest that I actively contributed to uh, as, a, as an individual was the Advanced Player's Guide uh, playtest. Sure, sure. So, uh, yeah, the... the I also want to I want to note something about that beta, which is that yeah. that's an early example of something that's really commonplace today, which is releasing a beta as a product. Uh, that was yeah. kind of one of, if not the first uh, RPG book that is like here. Here's a beta, uh, and and we're gonna actually give you like something permanent, uh, a physical version of this. I you know it is it is kind of funny how the choices you make leave little little marks on the on the course of the industry right yeah. and it was like a year or two later all of a sudden it was like oh look another soft cover cheap you know printed beta oh what a surprise right uh, because it was a big success for us uh, you know we blew out of the handful of copies that we printed and you know the 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 interesting anecdote about that was the only reason we printed it is because I did the math on how much it would cost to print the whole thing on a printer. And I was like, we got to be able to do that cheaper for them. And uh, it, in fact, it was true because this sold for, you know, this was, this was 20 bucks. And, uh, you know, the original MSRP was 19.99, and to print it even in black and white was like, yeah, you're going to burn through like three ink cartridges on that. So, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it was not, unless you were doing it at the, at, at the office, like most people did, uh, yeah. you know, but, uh, so, you know, those early playtest days were all, you know, all of the feedback that we were getting uh, was just from the message boards, right? And, um, I, you know, a lot of our early playtests, and I'm going to wager that th this even stretches into the era where, where Logan, you were working with us on the game. And, uh, John, I know you've got some experience with this too, where message boards were our primary means of getting feedback, right? You know, we would just open up the Paizo boards, and we would create these giant, uh, you know, uh, places where folks could chat about various subtopics, and we would just let them have at it. And uh, I, I don't know about the the two of you, but I can speak from experience saying that there were times where it was like, what did I do today? I read about two or 3,000 message board posts. That's what I did today. Yeah. Uh, I took some notes on it, and uh, that's kind of all I did. I, I don't know. YouTube and, yeah. probably had a lot and, of and about a thousand of those. Posts. About a thousand of those were the same post over and over. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it, it's that sort of post where it's also. Uh, I sure did read two hundred of roughly the same message saying this one thing is not working right. Is the whole class borked? And it's like. And so I spent a long time crafting a new response or a new way of wording the thing so people would stop mm -hmm. sending us that same bit of feedback. We know, we know we got it the first time. Please yeah. keep playtesting. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, there there was there there became this kind of pattern and rhythm to message board playtesting, which was, all right, there's a whole bunch of people saying the same thing. Now I, you know, go through, lock all those threads, create a new thread that just says, we heard you on topic X. Thank you. We will take that under advisement. Let's continue and talk about other things because I, I think the one, the one of the biggest disadvantages of message board feedback was is it tends to create kind of some amount of echo chambering where folks mm -hmm. are talking about an issue and they get passionate and engaged with the conversation. That oftentimes tells us that there's something there that we need to look at. Right. I, I, I think sometimes we had to kind of suss out when. It was just folks being passionate about the debate. But oftentimes when these things would spawn multiple threads, at the very least, the, the biggest thing we could take away from it was there is something going on with that problem or with that rule, with that issue, right? There, there's something there. 
it may not be what they think it is. It may have its tie in something else. Um, but there's definitely something there. And then the folks would just echo back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. So sometimes you had to eventually just kind of nip it in the bud and be like, all right, we heard it. Move on. Next, yeah, next topic. And, and, and uh, one of the other things that, uh, because my early playtest experience was from the other side, from the fan base. Um, and one of the issues, there's that passion in the message boards, the echo chamber effect that you were talking about, Jason, which would sometimes scare off some people from posting more because they didn't want to invite the, the fury of the public or or they thought their message was just going to be lost in the general noise. But they're also one of the issues of message board feedback for as the primary driver of playtesting is that writing out your thoughts and your experiences in a way that is clear enough to provide uh, firm feedback for the designers is an investment on its own. And a whole lot of the player base just wasn't interested in spending the time to go online and provide that feedback. So you were getting feedback from a limited audience of those who had the time, the energy, the motivation to opt into this process and who could uh, cleanly convey their points um, and have it bubble to the top. And so uh, the process, as, as I saw it from one side, and then once I was at Paizo and was seeing it from the other, was that um, I was only one of many minds that was seeing that we kind of needed to change things up a little bit because we were getting some of the same uh, valuable, passionate voices, but we were missing out on a huge amount of our customer base and, and our game serves a huge number of people. Yeah, I think uh, that is something that's going to come into play a little later on, but uh, a lot of what you're talking about is, is a problem with bias. Um, and mm -hmm. whenever we do play testing, there's, there's a certain amount of assumed bias coming from the players in general, right? Uh, because players want their heroes to be heroic, and but it's more than that. There's other types of bias as well that we have to guard for, and some of it is bias based on the system of feedback that we're getting. But I, mm -hmm. I don't want to get too much ahead of ourselves because this is something that we talked about a lot in, in some later playtesting that we did. Um, so honestly, our, our initial playtesting for the, like the first six, seven years of Paizo was almost all the same. It was release a PDF, you know, open up message boards, get a whole bunch of feedback, close the message boards after, you know, a, a month, month to two months, take all that feedback, take it into the design office, you know, process as much of it as we can, look for problems that people pointed out, fix them, and then move on with the process. That was how the playtest mostly worked, and it was useful. I do want to stress that it was very useful to show us where there was problems, where there were things that needed to be fixed. Um, I think oftentimes one of the bigger challenges was folks in giving their feedback then turned into, well, here's how you could fix it. Do this, do this, do this. And there is some advantage to that kind of stuff. Sometimes they would point out things that are like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Um, you know, maybe there is something there. Oftentimes those sort of answers would be something that explained a bit about their mindset and how they viewed the problem that would be almost more useful, right? Um, yeah. Because how someone decides to solve a problem sometimes speaks to the nature of the problem as much as asking the question about it itself. Yeah, right? or there, you'll find something weird like, oh, their GM always constructs their encounters in this very particular way that like is does not follow any other game. And so... Uh, yeah, it's like, oh, well, we understand why you had that problem, but 
this is it's such a weird outlier that it, it, it's weird data for uh, for that, making changes based on the playtest. Yeah, that that was an ongoing issue with our our playtesting in those early days was was GM variability, right? It's like, oh, this person runs PFS stuff, so they're you know we know what they're what type of games they're playing. This person's running in a Wazoo home game, right? Who knows what's going on yeah, and, there? And getting yeah, getting the playtest feedback was kind of like panning for gold because it's like there's some really great stuff in there, but you'd also like you're sifting through a message board. So it'll be like, okay, there's this cool comment and then like five posts in a row that are going back and forth about a thing that you kind of already, you got the important information for your d development process, um, but you're also just like kind of trying to sort out which posts are relevant, which ones have new information uh, and collating all that data, uh, which just kind of means it's a lot of extra manual work that kind of takes you away from having more time to work on the actual text and the, the rules. One, one other thing that I'll uh, bring up, which you'd referenced organized play there, Jason. Um, and organized play has, for a large part of the Paizo play testing process, uh, been a big part of things. And so uh, by the time I joined the company, um, it was already a policy once uh, new classes were coming out or new playtest was expected to kind of loop in the org play folks or org play person at that point and be like all right this is coming down the pipeline how can how can uh you be leveraging the uh five digit uh player base that active player base that you have to uh, bring us even more data to uh also build excitement within the community to be able to allow people to use this content in as many different formats as possible and um, the organized play perspective, uh, as I as I saw it from the inside, um, was that uh, not only did it increase the number of responses that we got, which is always great, but it did add at least a little bit more consistency uh, yeah. to things. So that if if there was this thing where you know, Jason Jason would occasionally wander over to uh, the office that Mark Moreland and I shared at the time, be like. Oh, and there's this um, adventure that people keep on complaining about. Blah, 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 like. Uh, undead for days, it's called, and um, they seem to think that the psychic is a bad class because everything in there is undead and is therefore immune to mind effects. Is, is, is that is that check out? I was like, oh yeah, that, oh yeah, yep, they would have a bad experience in that thing. Uh, yes, correct. Take that into consideration. Uh, bad confluence of, of, of traits, uh, which is based on a real story. Because gosh, that scenario got so much anger because the the occult playtest overlapped exactly with it. I think that is that you know it since the very earliest days of our playtesting, uh, Orc Play has been a very strong partner in our playtesting, right? You know, um, very frequently, not not universally, but almost every time, you know, they're 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 right with us, uh, allowing the classes to be part of Orc Play for their at least for their window, if not until the release. Um, and you you are right. The the biggest thing that we got from that was a uniformity of play experience, which frankly led us to making certain decisions later down the road that we'll get to here in just a bit. But it was that. It, it, that, it, you had, know, a, it had a bias, but we knew what that bias was much more than we did with everybody else's individual tables. There, there's a thing about a bias that you can account for, right? It's yeah. like, okay, we know what that is. We can remove that from the equation um, and, and therefore get it better data. Whereas, you know, uh, my GM likes to throw, you know, nothing but dragons at us and we're third level, right? You know, okay, uh, sure. Um, and we did see some of that later, but uh, that, that's, uh -huh. a, that's, a, 
that's a different story. So, uh, you know, I think that's, that's most of our early play testing. Um, you know, eventually we got around to, you know, starting to look at other games and other things and our thoughts were evolving. And that is right around where Starfinder happened. And, you know, the Starfinder playtest was different than a lot of our previous playtests. And I'm going to, I'm going to toss it, uh, uh, over to John to kind of talk about the Starfinder playtest and kind of uh, lead our discussion on that. John, take it away. Yeah, so uh, Jason had mentioned a little bit earlier about how uh, there's that, that there's that design window where you get the feedback and you have a certain amount of time before you really need to be moving it on to editors, to art for layout, et cetera, et cetera. Like there's a, there's a timetable for these things. And Starfinder had um, both a lot of time for certain aspects, but also really tight windows for some others. And so as the playtest period approached, we had two competing, uh, two, two competing interests. One of them was that Paizo had such a strong tradition in public playtesting, reaching out to huge numbers of people and saying, have at it, tear it apart. Um, ideally not too much. We need some pieces to glue back together. But, um, but also we realized that we, really needed to get information real fast, we needed it real focused, and we had a limited amount of time in which to be going over the equivalent of all those message boards. So it was a balancing act of, of how can we get great playtest data, but how can we keep this thing on schedule because, wow, it's been about a decade since we've made an entirely new RPG. Uh, whew, these things take a lot of effort. Uh, uh, let's truncate certain bits and, and move on. Um, and so the decision was made to do a playtest, but to make it a uh, somewhat closed playtest. So we had a lot of in-house folks who wanted to try things out uh, along with some, some of their like, local friends or the like. And we we're like, um, so a bunch of those were authorized as playtest groups. We had a bunch of our uh, partners. We had a bunch of our friends of the community. We had some uh, venture officers and the like, um, and authors who we reached out to and said, hey, if you also want to be part of this, um, here's how to play test during this, this uh, fairly shorter window and how to get us effective data really quickly. Um, the, the nature of the beast was that Starfinder's play test period was from like late November to the uh, like middle of January. And so it was already this holiday season um, that was really set against it as far as how much time people could realistically play test. Um, but even with that, uh, with the numerous groups that we had doing the internal playtest and external playtest, we got some really good information. We got some really tight information. We did some, uh, we did through that a little bit more refine of the process. So it wasn't just setting up a message board uh, thread saying, here is the swashbuckler, what do you think? Um, but rather it was asking more pointed questions to, to test certain things, uh, to, to investigate certain elements of, for example, starship combat or how resolve points work um, that really informed some of our later survey processes. Um, but it came, it did come at a bit of a cost, we recognize. Like there were people who were used to having that public Paizo playtest. Like they knew Starfinder's coming. When can we be part of the process, says the public? And the answer had to be not this time we need to, we want to be yeah. sure we get a game to you we want to make sure we get a fun game to you especially at gen con uh where we don't know that we are in fact going to sell out of it within like 1.1 days of the show um yeah and, and so it's not really it's not fair to them or us to 
kind of do a play test we know we aren't going to have time to implement changes on and sometimes you just exactly. you hit that wall on scheduling it's just like this is going to waste your time and it's going to crunch our time and it's it's not yeah. going to be happy for anybody i think that does actually speak to an interesting larger point about how playtesting for us is kind of a luxury thing we have to squeeze into the schedule um our normal product schedule does not include playtest windows because playtest windows generally speaking mean that we need to start at least the playtest elements of the design a full 6 months or so before we would normally be doing our passes and our deeper development on it maybe it's only 4 or 5 but still it's it's a long time and that's something we actually have to carve out scheduling wise um but with starfinder we didn't quite have that so we had to evolve and and learn and do things differently um right absolutely absolutely um and and also starfinder was a project that had a a constantly evolving and growing team and was constantly uh sort of drawing in different uh sub teams uh to to help out with different components like there were there were plenty of times when the the core Starfinder folks were reaching out to the design team and saying, "Okay, we we need numbers for how like item wealth or item pricing works. Uh, please help or help us with the the design of of weapon uh, damage math and those sorts of things." Um, or adding, say, taking somebody who is working on like Pathfinder Adventure Paths and being like, "We need you on Starfinder now." So it's like um, the 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 needs of the game were. were requiring us to make uh, lots of really fast decisions, lots of really fast uh, evolutions on our team. And so the more that we could control the playtesting process, the more smoothly everything else could go. Yeah, I, you know, it's one of those things where we knew that playtesting for this was going to be tight and, and a challenge. Like everyone looking at the schedule that we had for it was like, there is not a lot of time for, for any of these components to come together. Um, but we knew that we had to get some feedback, right? Um, so the closed system was kind of the best thing that we could do. And, you know, I, I think there was definitely some hearkening back to our old kind of like, well, just gather some friends together and play test this thing. Um, you know, some feedback is better than no feedback. Um, but I do find that the, the directed questioning, uh, that happened there was really pretty important and informative to how we would do things kind of going forward. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I, because there was a lot of kind of like, well, let's look at this system versus that system. The, 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 the playtests before that were kind of just like, here's some rules. I don't know. Tell us what you think. And, uh, you know, that was certainly fun, but it meant that like people paid a lot of attention to say the Magus playtest as part of, you know, ultimate magic. They didn't really pay much attention to the words of power playtest. So, you know, feedback was uneven. <laughs> <laughs> feedback is important. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I think you can kind of see how some of that plays out, you know, over time too, right. You know, where, um, systems like eventually with with pathfinder first edition we only really play tested classes because the other material just didn't get a lot of feedback um but that led into you know there was uh that initial starfinder playtest john i was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how the starfinder playtesting has gone since then yeah so since then um starfinder has been very much 
learning from and adapting with the Pathfinder playtesting processes. So some of the early uh, looks at Starfinder playtesting, like for the um, Character Operations Manual New Classes was the first really big one, um, where it's like, okay, new classes, Pizer Tradition, put it to the public playtest, um, was, was still kind of following in that uh, message board model, albeit with some more targeted questions, a little bit more uh, redirection midstream, um, but was still very much toss it out to the public, see what happens, um, and, and receive the feedback, make the changes. Um, whereas once we start getting into Pathfinder 2nd Edition things, which I know we'll get into the details of in just a little bit uh, there, Jason, um, Starfinder has adapted a little bit more in, in the survey process. Um, so we, we've been learning right alongside you. So that, I, I think that's a good transition point, actually, to move on to kind of the, the 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 current phase of where we where we are at in in playtesting and it, it started with Pathfinder Second Edition because one of our goals uh, for the game was to have truly data driven uh, playtesting and you know that as a as a you know mile high goal of how do we create a playtest experience that not only is uh, kind of fun and engaging for the folks at home but also gives us targeted directed scientific uh, grade feedback right their message boards are self-selecting they are only for folks who you know are willing to throw themselves out there and willing to kind of get in debates online and that is not for everyone um so you know uh we knew that there were some bias problems there we also knew that like the person who shouted the loudest often seemed the most right on message boards. So there was some, there were some definite challenges there because if we had a very vocal poster who decided they did not like a system, they would let us know in 48 threads um, until we did something about it. And that doesn't always mean that that was the most important thing we had to fix. So looking at it, we started investigating Kind of how we could get data-driven analysis, and Logan, you were you were deeply involved with some of this early uh, uh, design. So, um, you know, I was yeah. wondering if you could talk a bit about how kind of the data-driven analysis came about. Yeah, so uh, Mark Seifter and myself were doing most of the like uh, figuring out the logistics of doing the um, the surveys and that part of playtesting. Um, there were kind of uh, three things that were really going into the change. One was that um, online surveys technology had advanced greatly from, uh, from the days of the uh, Pathfinder first edition beta. Uh, so we had a lot more options that we knew we could, you know, get a survey up and running um, with a relatively small amount of work. Uh, the second is that the fan base is just bigger. We knew there were going to be a lot more people involved and trying to do all that on a message board. It was, stressing the limits of uh, how far it can go. Uh, and the third is that we wanted to get a more universal um, breakdown in, uh, or a more universal play experience so we could really test specific things. And that's why we have the Doomsday Dawn adventure is so we can say like, okay, play this adventure so we know what factors are going into your game. We know what style of play each of these adventures is going to be. And we can test, we can test target uh, specific parts of the system. So like this is the one where you're going to TPK and so we're going to test how that plays out and how long you can actually last with the resources you're given in the game. Um, 
And Mark Seifter did a lot of the research on uh, the logistics of doing uh, or the best practices for writing a survey um, and how to phrase questions so they ha are going to be the least biased we can make them um, to get the data as clean as we could get it. Yeah, and Doomsday Dawn, uh, re referencing Doomsday Dawn there, um, and how a lot of those adventures were testing very specific questions and, and problems. Um, that's the sort of uh, thing where, as an organized play uh, creative developer, um, my team sort of gathered together and we were like, Doomsday Dawn is, do is asking some really important questions, like, how well does this anti-undead stuff work? Um, how long can you survive here? How does exploration mode work? Um, but with the exception of kind of the first and the last adventures, um, there wasn't as much about Doomsday Dawn that we saw uh, in the early stages that was like, how does, the, how does just a standard game of this run, does it feel good um, level thing? And so we were really passionate about using the organized play platform to create several playtest scenarios for uh, Pathfinder 2nd Edition and loop those into the greater 2nd Edition playtesting process um, to get some just sort of natural adventuring um, experience out there and, and more of these uh, known quantities of adventures um, that we could get even more data about, but also providing a natural thing that people could play at the uh, playtest launch at Gen Con and beyond um, yeah. in order to have more adventure material ready to go so they didn't also have to be learning enough to create their own content but they had yeah. now 11 adventures to play and not just seven well and we knew we'd yeah. have super fans who are going to blow through doomsday dawn in a weekend uh and still want to do stuff for the next several months of the playtest. yeah we we i it was a different experience than kind of almost anything we had had before uh i i think starfinder was kind of analogous to this in that we, you know, people would have to learn the game in order to play test it. We we didn't really have that problem with the, the Pathfinder first edition playtest. If you knew three five, yeah, you could probably muddle along. Oh, you had a three point five adventure, and yeah, you could probably use it. And it's it, yeah, maybe look up a stat block or two. Um, but with Pathfinder second edition, right? You know, we knew that it was very different. It was it was a game that required a, a different understanding. And, uh, you know, everything that we've talked about here is with second edition was about removing bias and, and variability from our data gathering, right? We're going to do surveys. That way we get, we cast a broad net. That way we get data driven approach. That way we can look at things on a, on a scale, uh, you know, and say, Hey, where are the numbers on this? We could chart those numbers over time. Like I remember doing some deep analysis to kind of show how opinions of certain classes changed over time as we released updates and changes and talked about how things were, were altering just to see how that needle moved uh, as people gave different feedback. Um, you know, we released Doomsday Dawn to remove the kind of GM adventure bias, right? Like, okay, well, we want to stress test certain aspects of the game. We want to really look at how does this component work? Let's push it to its limits and see whether or not it breaks because remember playtesting for us is all about finding the corners of the boundary box right like where is the what is the shape of this game and how do we make sure that we kind of get the most out of it and to do that we have to kind of push it as hard as it can go i do think that that led to some controversial decisions with with doomsday dawn that frankly in retrospect i probably would have done 
differently. Um, you know, but uh, all of this is a live and learn kind of experience. You you approach it and kind of go, well, this is the best we can do. This is what I think will work, but it doesn't always play out that way, right? Doomsday Dawn got a pretty harsh reputation of being an incredibly challenging uh, adventure, and and honestly, you know, there's one part of it that's an intentional TPK. Um, you know, uh, that didn't help, um, but. Frankly, there's part of me that now wonders whether or not we should have approached that with a much more deliberative, artificial, like we we wrapped it in too much story and made people think it was a an ordinary adventure, which was part of our like, yeah. let's let people have fun with it. Um, uh-huh. But in reality, we probably should have treated it more like the, the X-Men's danger room. <laughs> we should have just yeah. been like, go into the danger room and uh, bad things will happen to your character, but we'll learn stuff. Um, because, uh, you know, there were some folks that were frankly, uh, a little put off by how challenging it was. And they were like, is this what Pathfinder second edition is going to be? And uh, honestly, we spent a good deal of the playtest period just being like, no, no, no. We, we were just testing how hard that, how hard mm-hmm. we could push. <laughs> no, no, yeah, there, no number also, of book forwards a... can, can cover for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we can say it all we want, but people are going to skip right over that page. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, that was the thing, right? Doomsday Dawn actually starts out with a bit that's like, hey, this is a playtest. We're trying to figure out how hard and and how balanced these systems are. And the only way to see if their balance point works is to try and break it. Um, you, you don't learn that by sitting in the middle. That tells you nothing. Um, so, yeah, you know, oftentimes... I, I think if we were to redo it, if we were to redo it now, I think we would probably do that hardcore stress testing in a more limited playtest and have more yeah. of a... And, and have the public version of the adventure be a little bit more of like uh, a fun story thing that isn't going quite as hard um, towards some of those points. Still, I think we could still do the like, this one's testing exploration stuff, and this one's testing, you know, an undead fight, but not have it be quite as extreme and uh, and difficult. I, I think to kind of sum up uh, some of the points that we're making, like, there, there's not necessarily anybody who's coming through and teaching us how to run playtests. And really, the, the, the great narrative arc of Paizo playtesting is that every single playtest has been us playtesting new ways to playtest. Um, we're, we're learning or finding our methods as we go every time. Yeah, that is absolutely true, right? I, I, I think as we playtest, we learn how to playtest better. And, and, you know, I think one of these days we'll get it perfect and we'll just be like, yep, that's it. Don't Do change a thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I, you know, we're not there yet. Uh, but I, I think we're getting closer, right? I, I do think, you know, looking back at all the playtesting we've done, I there's no way I could ever remotely claim that, you know, playtesting has not been good for us, right? It has demonstrably been something that improves our rules and content every single time we do it. Every time we get feedback from people playing the game, from people reading our rules and understanding how they work and kind of using them in their own home environment, we learn more about our design. We become better designers. We become uh, better, uh, you know, coworkers and colleagues to each other because we 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 learn that you know our our work is fallible and we have more to learn. We always have more to learn. Um, nothing we ever do is 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 perfect. We do the best we can with the tools and resources we have, and playtesting is is one of the best ways we can do that. Um, 
So we've got, I don't know, about 15 minutes here. Before I kind of open it up to Q&A, do, do either of the two of you have any further points you want to make? Um, otherwise, we can open it up to some questions here before we're done. Um, I think one point I'll make is, at least on the Starfinder side, is that a few of us, uh, especially when we're making new systems, tend to um, reach out to some of our you know, local gaming friends or some of our colleagues and, and they're when we're creating something entirely new, like for example, mech combat for Starfinder in Tech Revolution, it's there's some internal playtesting even before the external playtest goes out because we are trying to do several stages of playtesting, catch some of those preliminary issues that people were going to write 200 message posts uh, about and, and draw the conversation away from uh, before it goes out, so that we can we can focus on the things we really want to focus on. Um, I. I see one of the questions that we might address uh, later on in the chat, Jason, of like, can talk about uh, testing of adventures and, and APs and you know, can kind of go into that as well. Yeah, I think there is, you know, it's, it's funny. I, one of the messages that just came up in the, uh, in the chat um, was an automated message about the beginner box being available. And it does re remind me of the one other weird way we've play tested things in the past, which is, we paid a uh, a company to go when we were doing the first Pathfinder beginner box. This is just more of an anecdote than anything. Uh, we paid a company to go find a bunch of high school kids who had never played uh, a role playing game before to open, like, do the one way mirror where we get to listen in, and they mm -hmm. open up the box and had to learn how to play. And uh, it was me and Eric at it, uh, but we got it. We got it on disc somewhere. If anybody in the office ever wants to see it, we, we've got the recording. But it is a harrowing experience of watching people uh, open up your product and learn how to play it for the first time without any help. Like you can't go in there and help them; they just got to figure it out. And it is, it is a terrifying experience where you're just sitting behind the mirror trying not to scream of like no it doesn't work that way ah, 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 no, in the glass like the graduate it's like turn to page eight turn to page eight um it's 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 one of the most bizarre and entertaining playtest experiences i've ever had we got some really good data out of it about what they were kind of not doing right but they they had a finished prototype so we knew we were right at the finish line um so, like, if there was something wrong with it, we didn't have a lot of room to fix anything. The files were going to the printer in, like, a few days, so it was like, boy, I hope this doesn't go wrong. Uh, and, and it went fine, but it was there was a few hair-pulling moments, and we went back to the office and pitched a handful of things, and... Uh... But it was, it was good times. Logan, do you have anything else you want to add before we, uh, before we, before we move on? I, I had a, something that I, I didn't mention in the 2E playtest, which is the internal playtest we did, the kind of alpha and pre-alpha stage, uh, because the very first playtest we did, we kind of just took a few of the ideas we knew were very likely to go in the game and just said, like, okay, everybody just make a character. And this is, this is like the design team making characters. There is no class write-up. This is just like, here's, here's the three action economy. Make a fighter. Take your best guess of what a fighter looks like. Uh, and then we playtested using that. And just kind of got some very like early ideas for that, um, and uh, some of that stuff. Like I think sudden charge was on the fighter, mm -hmm. I, so some of that stuff has survived essentially to the final game, just getting refined through the various stages. Uh, and then we did kind of a, an alpha document and let people internal to Paizo run some games before we uh, put that those ideas into the actual 
Pathfinder playtest release. Um, so that was an interesting stage where we got a bunch of uh, of uh, smaller scale feedback that we could use. And that that was that was a fun process to be a part of because I was uh, playing in and running some of those games and just being able to wander over the next like it's Wednesday morning. I wander over and like about cleric domains. I have the following marked up document. <laughs> Drop it in the I, office and run off and start working on scenarios again. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, that was fun. That does speak to like our very early, like, so with Pathfinder 2nd Edition, we had a longer outlay designing that than almost anything we've ever made at Paizo. We spent three years kind of in essence, starting with tinkering ideas. And it started out with what Logan mentioned, which was this, what I think at the time we called the proof of concept playtest. Because what I was trying to do, um, one of the things that I needed to do was create a version of the game that I could run the kind of management team through just to get sign off on, hey, this is the direction we are taking the game. Yes or no, right? Like, because I don't want to spend another eight months working on this. If you if you play it, if, you know, Lisa and Eric play it and are like, yeah, no, we're not doing that. Um, you know, mm -hmm. so we, we did kind of that early proof of concept play testing where it was just like, I don't know, throw some rules together. Do we not have spells? Ah, use a first edition spell, it's fine. Um, you know, and it was all about just kind of gluing together, you know, a rough form out of popsicle sticks and tinfoil uh, to get something that um, was the shape of the game, to make sure that it felt right. So that when we were, if we took it in that direction, did it still feel like Pathfinder? Did it still feel like the game we were trying to make? And then after that came what was called the vertical slice, which was trying to build enough of each class to go from one to 20 of, of just a handful of classes. And we didn't need all the options. We in fact only needed one option per level. It was like, can you have a complete character that goes from one to 20? And what does that look like? How does that feel, right? And this was another version of our kind of early, what, what was actually alpha playtesting for us, which was letting folks inside the building play around with, various chunks and slices. And I think that's what you're talking about, John, uh, was some Absolutely. of that early alpha internal playtesting. Um, because I we made those, time. yeah, the big binders. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 was, I was part of uh, Mark Seifter's ongoing game. And so like, he usually had the freshest like thing. So I remember like when the Bard was first available, I got to play the first playtest Bard, I guess. Um, but I'd be like, Heck with my cleric! Throw aside this Asmodean nonsense. Give me a give me a dwarf bard. Um, but it was it was always being able to give that like right in the moment feedback, being able to mark up documents and, and being able to get uh, for the design team's perspective. I imagine uh, like we we have a finished version of this thing. The next day, we already have some things to consider uh, of how to change it up. Indeed, indeed. All right. So, um, uh, before I move on to questions, is that is that everything? Do we want to move on to uh, a handful of questions here in our last couple minutes? Questions. Yeah, let's grab some questions. All right. Let's grab some questions. All right. Uh, so I got a question here from uh, Possible Cabbage, not Impossible Cabbage. That's a different poster. Um, that says sometimes a playtest survey will suggest huge changes to a class are possible. I recall the Magus playtest survey had something like, "Should the Magus class without?" Uh, be with a class without spell slots, but in powerful spell-focused spells instead. Uh, but we never had an option to playtest that version, and it was honestly something not something I ever thought about when playtesting. 
Um, if surveys had broken in favor of the untested idea, how would you have developed that? <laughs> That's a little specific about I, the Megas. I, I think in that case, um, basically from scratch, I think is how you would develop that. Yeah. Um, we certainly have done that. Like um, the entire resonance system from the playtest, it was like we, we scrapped everything and started from scratch. Like one of the things about our playtest is like it really is, you know, every anything can change potentially. Uh, and some of those survey questions are ones where it's like, we don't think this is the right way to go, but, you know, people other than us might see something on Moss that is, uh, that suggests that's a better path. And so um, I think that's one of the things I want to stress about our playtest is like, they're never like just for publicity. If we're putting something out for playtests, it's to actually test it. And uh, we're open to any level of changes. And if certainly like the alchemist class uh, from the playtest to second edition like essentially is almost an entire rewrite. Um, that's something that we, we are willing to do when we play tests and kind of have to be. Yeah, I, I think, you know, uh, one of the things that we've learned over our, our playtesting experience is that, you know, oftentimes the changes that folks suggest, there's always somebody who's going to be like, you know what, you should just start over. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> we would. But, uh, you know, we're only going to do that if it's a complete catastrophe. And and I think in the entire history of Paizo, I think that's maybe happened twice. Um, uh, but it, it's not a common occurrence because, honestly, the amount of work that goes into getting to the playtest, oftentimes what we're trying to do is refine the design we already have. Um, yeah. All right, so we've got another question here. Do you ever regret caving to playtesters when maybe they were wrong in the long run? Um, I, I'll <laughs> leave it at that. There's yes. an add-on to that. I. I mean, do, do either one of you ever feel like we've caved to playtesters and then later been like, ah, that wasn't the right call? <laughs> I, yeah. If the answer is uh, no, that's okay. The, 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 the one, one that stands out to me... Go ahead, John. Uh, John, why don't you take I think, it? I think the, the one point I'll make is that uh, the playtest surveys have been very good about identifying why certain changes are being requested and how we can then... Uh, make changes that are a little bit less reactionary and a little bit more informed as to what problem we're actually trying to solve um, so that we have fewer of those moments in the future. Um, the one that stands out to me is where we were kind of between a rock and a hard place with the, um, the, the structure of the items section for between the playtest and the final, uh, because one of our questions was like, what do you, how do you feel about the structure of the, the items section of the playtest, because it was kind of like all the items in one big list so that, you know, if you're in an adventure and you have a, a monster that has a specific item, you just go to that section and look alphabetically and you find the item. Um, and one of the, the answers to the questions we got was, you know, do you want this in more of a structured style, more like 1E, where the weapons are separated out and, you know, everything's divided into subcategories? Uh, and that was what the survey results said. But we had kind of already commissioned the art for that section, and it was was going to be kind of a mess if we reorganized it. Uh, and we reorganized it to be more like what the survey results said, but ended up kind of being squeezed because there are only so many ways we could restructure it and ended up with a structure that is confusing to a lot of readers. I think that's the big one where it's like, uh, I, I wish we had done something differently to that to make it to go one way or the other rather than kind of having a hybrid solution that ended up being kind of a pain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do. I do think looking back at, at the P2 process, that's the one part of it. Whenever ask, anyone asks me, they're like, 
what would you have done differently? I would have been like, yeah, probably the magic item chapter organization because we kind of went with the middle ground and I think it, it made, frankly, kind of no one happy. And, and, and sometimes that's what a compromise is. I don't think that's the case in a reference chapter. <laughs> so uh, I have one last question here that I want to toss around the, the horn before we move on. Um, uh, do we uh, do do we have a story of the most glaring thing you missed in a playtest and what you learned from it? For me, uh, the most glaring thing I ever missed uh, in a playtest was, frankly, uh, the the entire Words of Power playtest just did not get enough feedback, um, and ultimately the system. It's something that some folks absolutely love, but boy, most folks are like, yeah, that I didn't use that right, and it was just that it didn't have the right level of variability. Um, and frankly was far too limited in its scope. It needed a chapter like three times bigger than what it had to actually function. Uh, but you know, you live, you learn. Uh, I, I'll, I'll, I, I wanted to give some folks some preamble so they could think, uh, but, uh, whichever one of you has an idea, take it away. <laughs> it, it, I don't know that this is necessarily the biggest thing overlooked, but sort of one of the discoveries, um, is that for the evolutionist playtest, they had evolution points, EP. Um, and that is the same abbreviation that's used for a different class, for entropy points, for the Vanguard. And I kind of was cognizant of it going in, but thought, it, this won't be an issue. This won't confuse people. Oh, it confused everybody. Um, and <laughs> especially when they're like, what if I, what if I multi-class Vanguard evolutionist? Um, and so it's like, it's recognizing the things that um, you think are going to be small issues, but in fact spin out a lot more, um, makes me a much more conscientious designer. I, I didn't have anything that came to mind. I'm sure there there are plenty. Um, I don't think there are any that really like stuck out as a big problem. A lot of them, it's like, well, this this is a thing that has potential, but it might be too complicated and might not actually be satisfying. I think like the original version of the Magus for the playtest is a good example, where it was like. Let's go with the most loose version we can and then see see if people like that or if we bring it to something that's a little more like direct and dialed in. Uh, and, and that was one where it's like, yeah, no, that, they didn't like that. It's, it's too complicated, uh, too, too, you know, lacking in direction. Um, that, that's the one that like pops most easily to mind. But we kind of already <laughs> we knew that was maybe a possibility to start with. A, a lot of the little things are are. A lot of the glaring areas tend to be the little things of like, oh yeah, this probably should have a saving throw. That's why people think this is overpowered. Yeah, this spellcaster never gets a bump to their spell DC, right? Yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, that that speaks to kind of the final uh, aspect of this, which is you know our games are living documents. They're rules that continue to evolve and adapt. Playtesting is the first step in that, but it's not the final step. Um, you know, we do adjust things as we go forward. We make changes over time. We issue errata and FAQs to kind of constantly push things forward. In fact, kind of, the playtest never really ends. We are constantly learning more about our rules, making adjustments, making our games better. And it's all thanks to you. Uh, your feedback, your thoughts, your playing the game, your passion for the games we make kind of tells us all that we need to know to move forward and make better games for all of us to enjoy. I want to thank you all for watching. I want to thank my two panelists here. Uh, I'm sorry, I guess you're this way. Uh, and uh, I, I want to thank you both for attending. Uh, folks, uh, the streaming continues here in just a few minutes. Thank you for watching. Any last words, anybody? Playtesting is a process, <laughs> and we're always learning how to playtest our playtests.
<laughs> indeed, indeed. Thank you for watching, everybody. Have a great rest of your PaizoCon. Uh, we will uh, wander over to the Discord uh, and see if there's any other chatting going on there. Thanks for watching, folks. We'll see you next time. Bye.